There is a passage in the New Testament that I absolutely love, and it's just very significant. It really, it, it just encourages me, and it's a passage that's found in the book of Second Timothy. And the Apostle Paul is near the end of his life, and he writes to his protege Timothy to encourage him not to give up. Now, if you've done any study on the Apostle Paul, he lived just a glamorous life. Nothing ever happened to him. Everything was perfect in his life. Everything seemed to work out. Right? How many us know that's not the correct answer, Pastor? We know that he was shipwrecked, close to death many times, really suffered in many ways for uh, his relationship with Jesus Christ. But the thing Paul learned that even in the midst of suffering and things not always working out in your life, he knew one thing to trust God in all things. And he knew that God was faithful and that if he would remain faithful to God, God in the end, he would see him and that he would receive this crown of righteousness that would be given to him by the grace of God. And he writes Timothy not to give up. And for young Timothy, as he's pastoring churches, he's, it's a struggle. It's not easy dealing with people and dealing with different views and trying to keep heresy out of the church and false teaching. But he encourages in one thing. He says, Timothy, I was faithful, and there's something that awaits me at the end of my life. I want you to listen to the words of Paul. I love this because Paul gets it right here. He puts everything into perspective for us. How many know that we live in a world today that we can so easily lose our perspective and get caught up in all this other rhetoric that can just discourage us and can lead us away from our true calling in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He knows. He says, my, my time of death is near. But he says, I have fought the good fight, and I've finished the race, and I've remained faithful. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And my prayer for you is that God would encourage you today through his word not to give up. Not to allow the things that we see in our life to get us sidetracked from what God has called us to. I want you to notice what Paul says at the end of his life. He says, I didn't give up and I kept moving forward. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, don't give up. Keep moving forward. It will be worth it at the end. It will be worth it at the end. Paul understood that he would receive a crown, a a reward for righteousness. And it's actually a victor's crown. Paul was striving for something beyond himself and what he saw here in this earth. And he didn't allow the discouragement that he faced here on this earth to discourage him from the crown that he would receive from his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I love watching the Olympics. I was a swimmer when I was in high school when I was young. And so I just love the swimming part of the Olympics and just enamored with Michael Phelps and just what he accomplished. Michael Phelps won 28 Olympic medals, 28, and 23 of them were bronze medals. No, they were gold medals. He won 23 gold medals. He's the most decorated uh, Olympic athlete ever in history. It's said about his workout regimen is this. He would burn eight to 10,000 calories daily. 
swimming five to six hours a day, which means he would have to eat 12,000 calories a day to keep up with his workout regimen. That's a lot of boxes of donuts, right? I mean, man, you just eat whatever you want. That's a lot of trips to Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, that that's amazing. I can't even think of that type of workout regimen. But but what was it for? Why would he do that? It was it was all in pursuit of this gold medal, be the best at your sport. But what kept him going? What kept him going was that prize to be the best. It wasn't just this this gold medal to hang around his neck. It was the idea that you are the best at your sport, to be the top. See, Paul keeps going because he knows this crown of righteousness awaited him because of his faithfulness. In fact, the Greek word there for crown is this word stephanos. It's where we get our name Stephen. So if your name is, is Stephen, it means crown. Or Stephanie. This is where we get those English names. It's a reward for faithfulness that can only come through the grace of God. So when Paul's life was over, he would see Christ and he would receive this crown given to him. And so what Paul sees is he sees it's an honor to give up everything in his pursuit of Jesus Christ. Despite all the hardships, he never gave up. He kept his eye on the prize that awaited him. And it's a prize that will never fade, that will never go away. It's a prize of eternity that we will be with Christ. And I know here in this earth, it's so easy to think temporal, like, oh, my, my issues. And I'm not trying to downplay any of our struggles that we go through in our life. But Paul says they're momentary. They're not going to last forever. But what awaits you? What kept Paul going and not giving up was eventually he would see his Lord and Savior in this goal of this prize that Christ would award him for being faithful. Now, listen, we can, we can make a big deal out of things that don't really matter at the end. I want you to think for just a moment. When you look over your life, what are the things that really matter? And think about when you make an opinion about something or talk about something, is that thing really going to matter in 10 years or 20 years? It's so easy how we can allow things to distract us from the things that really matter. Now, listen, it, it could be something as simple as like, you know, at the end of your life, you could just simply think, what are the things that truly matter at the end of my life? Are you thinking, boy, I wish I could just work one more hour. If I could have just got some more overtime in. I've never heard anyone say that. Or maybe you think, or maybe you think to yourself, if I could just get one more like on Facebook. If I could have just had that one more like, you know, ah, oh, man, it would have made my life perfect, right? You don't hear anybody saying those things. Listen, listen, work and our pursuits are not bad things. Yet they aren't the main things at the end of our lives if we're pursuing Christ. So what is the main thing? The main thing is our relationships and how we impact others, other lives for Christ. Those are the things that matter the most. Those are the things that matter the most. Notice Paul's words because he cared for Timothy. And his main goal was his faithfulness to Christ. Paul never gave up on Christ. He never gave up. He had the right focus. And as we're going through, we're studying the book of Ruth, and we're spending a lot of time studying the book of Ruth. This is the focus I want us to see, because this is the main theme of the book of Ruth, is that Ruth never gave up. When everything else told her, give up, when her life was just, there was nothing to look forward to, she lost her husband, she just had nothing 
to look forward to in her life. She never gave up. That's the theme. She was faithful. And all through the book of Ruth, what we'll see is God's provisions when it seems so bleak. And what we're going to look at today, we're going to jump into chapter 2. This is an amazing chapter in the beginning verses of what Ruth does to seek out the favor of God. She does something. She does something to seek out the grace of God in her life when everything else just seemed like it was just a waste of time. Like, how is this going to make a difference? She was faithful. And so as we've been studying the book of Ruth is a very discouraging time in, in the book of Ruth. It was, you know, Israel was very disorganized politically, had no real leader. Um, Ruth lived some 1,100 years before the birth of Christ. It was a time of spiritual apathy, apathy violence. Basically, there's a pattern that was going on in the life of Israel at this time. Basically, they would sin. They would walk away from God. Then they, they were suffering. They were suffering because of their choices. And then they'd call out to God, and then God would help them or rescue them through. He would raise up a leader or a judge to help rescue them from their enemies, and then they would do it all over again. Then they would sin, and then they were suffering, and then they called out to the Lord, and then God came and helped them, and then they'd sin again, and then they'd suffer, and then they'd call out to God, and God would help them again, and then they would sin, and then they were suffering, because you get the point. Read the book of Judges, and you can see this. This is, this is the pattern. This is, this is the culture. This is where Ruth lived. In the first chapter of Ruth, we see how her life truly was, and it wasn't great. Ruth lost her husband, and she was left destitute. And so here she is with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who also loses her husband, and her other daughter-in-law loses her husband. So these three women who have no husband, no children, and they're in a foreign land in the land of Moab, which is considered enemies of Israel. So she's thinking, well, why is Naomi, an Israelite, living in Moab? Well, there, there was a famine in Bethlehem and where they lived, and so they went to Moab to find food, and this is where her two sons find these Moabite women. And so here they're, here they're left. So there's a crossroads. Naomi says, I've got to go back to Bethlehem. I heard, I heard that there's food there. And so in Moab, they weren't finding food. There was a famine. So she goes, I heard that there's food there, so I'm leaving. And so what she tells her two daughters, she says, I'm leaving, but don't come down this road. There's absolutely zero prospects down the road I'm going. You go back to your people and your gods. You will have a much better chance of getting married and being with your family and finding support than you will in Bethlehem. So they all hug and Orpah goes her way. But what does Ruth do? Ruth stays. Ruth actually clings to Naomi and says, listen, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. She completely committed herself to Naomi and the God of Naomi and follows her down a path that seems just ridiculous, that seems like there's no prospects. But she puts her faith in God. She puts her faith in the God of Naomi to believe that he will rescue her. So she takes this road. Now, now listen. Naomi is supposed to be the Israelite and trust God, right? But she's bitter. She's just being raw with her feelings. She's going, I've lost everything, but I'm going to go this way. It doesn't mean she completely gave up on God, but she was bitter. She, go, she said, call me Mara, as we learned last week, which means bitter. But what we're going to see is this Moabite who wasn't an Israelite, who's considered an enemy of God, is going to con- uh, continue to encourage her mother-in-law and her God. It's crazy. It makes no sense. But God sees the faith of Ruth to continually pursue him and his grace. It's an amazing story of faithfulness. 
So let's pick it up in Ruth chapter 2. So here we are. Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem. And now they need to get food. They, they need to get food. Um, and listen to what happens. Start in verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now this is the first time we're going to hear the name of Boaz, who, who was a relative of Elimelech, who was the husband of Naomi. And Ruth, the Moabite, notice how he says Moabite again, calling her out, saying she was not an Israelite. She was actually considered an enemy of the Israelites. And said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Ooh, we are going to open that one up because that is so many good, so much good stuff right there. And then she said to her, go, my daughter. There's the blessing. Go, my daughter. And she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was part of the clan of Elimelech. So it was part of the family. And we're going to see about this in future messages, why this is so important. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Okay, now, 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 we're kind of seeing the heart of Boaz. He's a godly man in a time where there wasn't a lot of godliness. God never lost sight of Naomi and Ruth. Let's continue on verse 5. Then Boaz said to this young man who's in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? All of a sudden, they take notice of Ruth. And the servant who's in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman. Obviously, she's not one of us. She's a, Mo a Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Amen to God's word. Amen to God's word. I want you to notice something in verse two. She says to Ruth, let me go into the fields and see if I can find favor. This is amazing to me. She didn't give up. She didn't allow her discouragement to stop her. She took the initiative to actually step out in faith to find and see the goodness of God. See, the problem that happens in our life when discouragement comes or things don't go our way, when suffering comes, we stop seeing the goodness of God. We're like, how is God good in this situation? How is he good? How is he going to provide? How is he going to help me in this situation? And I want you to see that, listen, um, Naomi and Ruth could have walked into Bethlehem. There could have been a nice, huge grocery store just waiting for them, right? And say, hey, today all the food is free. There you go. God is going to provide. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Ruth had to go out into the fields and seek and see that God's favor was in the fields, that his goodness was there, that he had provided for them. And she had to work for it. She was there all day, but she wasn't discouraged. She wasn't entitled. She didn't say, woe is me. I got to go in the field. Where's my sunblock? I didn't have any sunblock. I didn't have enough water, right? She goes out there and sees the favor of God. Let me find favor as I go and work for not only myself, but to take care of my mother-in-law, Naomi. Because without me, she's going to starve. And so will I. 
So I'm going to go out there and I'm not going to see this as a discouragement. I'm going to see this as an opportunity for God to provide for myself and my mother-in-law. So let me explain to you what's going on here. What God did here is really interesting that we see in the word of God is God provided a safety net for those who needed help. For those that didn't have much, God provided the safety net. And as an owner of a field, usually a righteous owner who would follow this law of God, an owner of a field would purposely leave the edges unharvested so those needing help could glean the edges of the field to find food. And so that's what's going on. After the harvest of Boaz's field, he left the edges unharvested so those that needed food those that needed help could go and harvest the edges of the field. And that's where Ruth finds herself. That's what she's doing. She's working. She's not sitting back. She's not complaining. She's not feeling entitled. Ruth does not allow her pain to dictate her life. She, does, she doesn't sit back. In fact, not only does she not do that, But she sees it to find favor. She sees it as a good thing of God providing for them. A couple of things I want you to see right off the bat here in the first couple of verses. Ruth had the right attitude, and she was in the right place. She had the right attitude, and she found herself in the right place. Listen, listen, just those online, you got, just lock in on me for one second. Don't, Don't lose me here. I think for many of us here, we find ourselves in the wrong places and we wonder why we can't hear from God. Where are you in your life? And I'm, I'm speaking to myself too. It's like, we, God, we want you to move. God, we want you to bless our lives. We want all this stuff. But, but are we in the right place? And the one thing I appreciated about my parents early in my spiritual development, when I was just a knucklehead, didn't want to go to church, didn't, you know, and they were, Barton, you're going to come to church. We go as a family, and I was a young teenager, 14, 15, 16 years old. We're going to go, and they said, we'll take you out to breakfast after, but we, we go as a family. I said, ah, okay, I don't want to go, but, but I'll go. But they knew that if they kept putting me in the right atmosphere, that eventually... <laughs> God was going to get me, and he did. (laughs) But they knew that if I heard God's word, and they knew how powerful our youth group was and what God was doing in the youth group, and so they kept praying, oh, if we could just get Barton to go to youth group, we could just get him to go to youth group. And so my parents are sneaky and tricky, and so they kind of bribed me to go to the youth group, and my twin sister also, and here I am today. So anyways, it worked for them. Not everybody, but it worked for them. But here's the thing I appreciate about that, is that they wanted me to be in a place where I could hear from God, where the word of God was being spoken and preached, where Jesus's name was being glorified. And so listen, what, what Ruth understood is she had the right attitude, but she was in the right place because there was a relative that owned that field named Boaz. And we're going to see this next week, how significant that was. I'm not going to preach it again. I want to, but I'm going to hold my tongue because it was, it's so good. Next week gets even better. You see, they go into the field. They go into the field of relative Boaz, who is a worthy man, and he's a man of character. Boaz is a wealthy man, and he's a man of integrity, and he's a godly man. But I want you to see something significant here. Verse 2 reminds us once again that she is a Moabite and she's an outsider, but God doesn't forget about her because he sees her faithfulness and her faith to trust in him. She had so much against her. And I, I, we all feel that way, right? We, so many times we feel like 
why are these things happening to me? Why are these things against me? Why is this, why is this taking so long? And really, Ruth could have taken that type of attitude. You know, woe is me. And, and once again, I'm not trying to downplay what we go through or the suffering that we may have had endure through different things in our lives. But I want you to know something. Everything was against her. But she kept striving after the God of her mother-in-law, Naomi. She kept looking for the favor of God and the grace of God and everything that she saw. If Ruth allowed her circumstances to hold her back, she would have never met Boaz. She would have never met Boaz. Ruth works all day gleaning in the fields of Boaz, and it doesn't go unnoticed. God knows exactly what he's doing. So what's Ruth doing? She's remaining faithful. She's not grumbling. She doesn't feel entitled. And she's faithful. Now, I'm going to preach to myself for just a second. Or how many of you have ever grumbled in your life before? Right? right? Come on. Come on, church. Right? How many of you have ever felt a little entitled? Like, what? you know, how come this isn't, you know, I, look who I am. I'm, I deserve this. I'm paying for it. And treat me right. Right? We, we've all had that attitude, right? We're constantly fighting an attitude of entitlement. Because my heart is selfish. And I think things should go my way. Right? Why aren't things going my way? And it's easy to creep in, and I'm talking to myself. And many times I will miss the grace of God and the provisions of God because I'm too busy trying to feel the way I feel in my entitlement. Why didn't this work out the way I want to work out? And meanwhile, God's saying, I'm working it out, Barton. Just calm down. I'm working it out. And maybe for Ruth, she could have felt that. Why am I working in the fields all day? Why am I getting sunburned? Why, why, all this. But she didn't see it that way. She saw the fields of barley... It's God's grace that I'm providing for you. And she saw it as God's favor. And God looks on her and sees her heart. And what she will begin to do is begin to minister to her, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, about the goodness of God. And so her heart was touched by God and his grace and his mercy. She's sunburned. She's dirty. However, she never gives up. She never gives up. I, I love hearing stories about your background. And, 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 and being a pastor of a church, you can hear a lot of people's backgrounds and where they came from and their family history. And I love hearing that. And there's a family in our church, incredible family history. Um, the granddaughter attends our church. They have a big family, but they attend our church. And she told me a story about her grandmother, who was born in 1922 in Ukraine. And her story, her name is Anna. And she was born in 1922 in Ukraine and was the oldest child of 12 children. God bless them, 12 children. And the story, what the story is about her grandmother in Ukraine, she was sent away at the age of 12 to go to Poland to work as a nanny for another family and would send the money back that she earned as a nanny to help her family. Can you imagine that? Can't imagine it. Then World War II breaks out. Then World War II breaks out. She's captured from Poland and taken to Germany to work on farms. And while she's working on the farm, she takes food like potatoes, the granddaughter writes, to her friends who were starving in other camps and fed them through fences. She said she gives a story of when her husband, the granddaughter, when her husband eventually met her grandmother older in age in her 70s. And the first time her husband met her, she said, my grandmother at this time was in her 70s, and she was repairing her own roof. 
by walking up and down the by going up and down the ladder with fifty pound tar paper bags up and down the ladder at seventy years old in her seventies. She said she had a huge garden that she would sell her produce outside of her house. She had a wood burning stove to heat her house in the war- in the winter. She cut her own wood. So when her husband came over to help her cut wood, she goes, I, I chop wood better than you because in Ukraine, the women were the one who cut the wood. The wood. They're tough. She said, Anna loved her family, both here and in Ukraine, and she spent the rest of her life sending packages back home to the U- Ukraine filled with clothes and shoes that she bought from the Goodwill to bless her family. She was part of the Ukrainian Pentecostal church, and she loved Jesus. They did share the side story with me that I thought was really incredible. In her old age, someone tried to mug Anna and take her purse. That was a huge mistake for the mugger. They didn't get her purse because she had a hand axe in her purse. That I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She didn't. She didn't. I just wanted to add that. She, maybe she did. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, But what I love about that story is about someone who trusted the goodness of God and saw the goodness of God when it would not seem that way, that worked hard and saw every provision as the grace and favor of God when it wouldn't look that way. See, I love this type of attitude that, that, that you don't take anything for granted, And so what Ruth does here, when Ruth goes into the fields, she sees it as favor and grace. And people take notice of how she was working and the way she was working. I don't know if she was singing praise songs out in the field. Maybe she was. I don't know. But there was something about her attitude that other people took notice. There was something different about her. She doesn't feel entitled, and she sees it as a gift from God. What an amazing, incredible character. But I want you to see this is the character of Christ. Let me connect this to our Lord and Savior because he came not to be served, but to serve us, to show us the way of servanthood, to show us the way to the heart of God. And the heart of God is not to see who can be first, but who can be last. Jesus said the greatest of you are going to be the ones that serve And I believe that breaks the heart of entitlement when we learn to humble ourselves to one another and we serve each other. You see, Jesus came to lay his life down for us. He did everything for our benefit, for our benefit. And it's through his grace that we find the forgiveness of our sins. And I believe when we understand grace, truly understand grace, that it's not merited or earned, we will see that we don't deserve it or we don't earn it. And that will, that will crush an entitled attitude in our heart and in my heart. That attitude will be broken. See, when we can look at our lives as a gift given to us by God, it will change the way we live. That when we wake up every morning, we can say, hey, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I'll be grumpy and complain because it's too cold outside, right? What does it say? No, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Listen, I'm not trying to minimize what we go through. 
or pain and suffering that we go through. But I want us to remember that God is still God and that even through all of that, we can find joy and we can find the grace of God and we can find the favor of God in our circumstances so that it doesn't rob us of the joy that he desires to give us. So the question I want to ask you, here's the question I want to ask you, is where have you gotten stuck? Where are you stuck in your life? Is there a pattern in your past that you see keeps creeping up again and it gets you down and it gets you discouraged? We call those strongholds. They're strongholds that that we can easily allow into our lives that rob us from truly knowing God and experiencing his grace. So what are those things? Where have you kind of gotten stuck in your life? Where did your mind continually go back to? And I believe Christ wants to set you free from those things and give you joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. He doesn't want your joy in him to be robbed by those things so that we mull over them and we allow us to become discouraged and not see the grace and the favor of God in our life that he desires to give us each and every day. Let me ask you another question. How could your life change if you looked for God's provisions in your life each and every moment? How would your life change? How would your life change if you looked for God's grace in your life, realizing that every breath we take is a gift given to us by God? Every breath. How would our lives changed? We could truly look at our lives and just thank him for what he's provided us with. And then turn that around and use that for his glory and his purposes. It will crush a selfish, entitled attitude that's so easily creep into our lives if we're not careful. And the thought I want to leave you with today with Ruth is that she kept pursuing God. She kept moving forward. She didn't allow her discouragement and the things in her life dictate how she was going to pursue God. And she looks into that field and she goes, there's God's grace. He's going to provide for us. And what we're going to see next week, I'll give you a little teaser for next week. What we're going to see next week is how she harvests the field, how she sees God's provision and how she uses that not only to bless her life that God provided, but the life of Naomi and change her life also through her faithfulness to trust the God of Naomi. Where are you stuck today? Where are you stuck? Let God change your heart and your attitude. Put yourself in the right place. Put yourself in the right atmosphere to allow God to speak to you and to show you the places in your life that he wants to remove and change it from discouragement to his grace and his goodness. Amen. So let me pray for you. And we're going to close in song today. And and let's just pray and ask God just to help us in this area of our lives of, of maybe discouragement, maybe not seeing God's grace in your life. And let's allow Christ to change us in those areas. Father God, as we bow our hearts before you today, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for just the example we see in your word of remaining faithful and seeing your provisions, even when it doesn't look like it. 
you are there. Help us to trust you through that. And I pray, pray for all of us here that certain areas in our life that we're just stuck in, that we've allowed past patterns of thoughts or strongholds in our lives to keep us from truly knowing you. We thank you that those things are broken in Jesus' name. They're broken in our life in him. And I pray, Lord, whatever those things might be in our life, Lord, that we would allow Christ to take control of our hearts and our lives and to see your goodness each and every day in our lives. Help us to be a thankful people, to be thankful for what you've done for us, Christ. And then help us to live that before the world. Help us to have the right attitude before the world of a gracious, loving God who has changed our hearts and our lives. So we thank you. Thank you for your word today. And I just pray you continue to speak to your people, God. We love you. We thank you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen to God's word. Amen. Would you stand if you're able? Let's sing this unto the Lord today.